On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on the incredible, the wonderful Dr. Boz. think trauma is this physical you know, concussion and boxing and football but the biggest trauma to brains is chemical the chemicals that work fast are alcohol and you know crystal meth and THC the chemicals that work slowly are high insulin We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am very excited and very grateful that you chose to press play with us today. If you want to learn more about me, head over to benazadi.com. As I mentioned on a previous episode, we recently built out a Keto Camp podcast studio here in Miami, Florida. And we released the first episode in person recording with John Kelly just a little over a week ago. You might have listened to that amazing interview. The second interview we've ever done at the Keto Camp podcast studio is with Dr. Boz. And that is today's episode. Dr. Boz is wonderful. I recently got to share the stage with her at Keto Orlando Summit. And I told her about the studio and she's like, oh, I'll drive down and let's do the episode. So she lives in Tampa. I live in Miami. She drove down with her husband uh, recently and we recorded an in-person conversation. It was so incredible. This is actually her fourth time on the show, first time in person. And we discuss sugar versus smoking. Why is it normal to look at somebody smoking and think that's going to harm you? But when they eat sugar, we don't think the same thought when arguably sugar could be worse or as damaging. We discuss what sugar does to create insulin resistance and diabetes and destroy the brain, why kids are being diagnosed with fatty liver disease and diabetes, unlike anything we've seen before, cancer rates and in children, why is this happening? We'll talk about that, her passion for educating people on testing for A1C, testing their glucose, and using keto as a powerful tool. She talks about three different levers that she pulls for her patients and students with keto. She's going to outline all three of those levers. And then we get into something really fun, which is sardines and the benefits of something she calls sardine fasting, 72 hours with sardines, with the bone and the skin, and why that transforms your glucose and ketone numbers, your results on keto, how that transforms your brain health. And I told her, look, if we do the podcast in person, I will eat sardines with you on the episode. Even though I don't like sardines, I said I'll do it. So on the actual episode today, 
we ate the sardines. And you'll hear all about that, my reaction. And if you watch the video interview, which is on our YouTube channel, you can watch us eating the sardines. We chased it down with a shot of olive oil. But you can watch the video version on youtube.com slash keto camp. So much fun. We also discuss why she loves heat therapy, sauna use, and what that does to transform your glucose numbers, your ketone numbers, and your mitochondrial health. We talk about hitting zone two heart rate. She'll explain what that means and why you want to get there consistently. And a lot more. I got to have, I had dinner with her and her husband after the interview with my fiance. And I just enjoy uh, everything about Dr. Boz. If you're not following her already, go to her YouTube channel. It's amazing. We'll reference her website, her YouTube channel, her social media down below in the podcast notes. Before I bring her on, let's get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is from LRMI20. Five-star review titled, Fabulous. I've been fasting for a couple years and I'm always looking for helpful, updated information to help me on my journey. This podcast is fabulous. Great information and great guests. Thank you, LRMI20. I appreciate that. Good job practicing fasting. You're going to love episodes we got coming out in the near future because we've had already incredible speakers with over 600 episodes and we're just getting started. Thank you for taking the time to listen and leave that rating and review. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review as of yet, please do so. Maybe I'll read yours on the next episode. All right, let's discuss so many cool things with Dr. Boz. Dr. Annette Bosworth is an internal medicine physician, author, believer, and former faculty member with over two decades of experience assisting people in overcoming long-term chronic diseases. She has been mentioned in various media venues, including CNN, Time, U.S. News, World Report, and Fox News. Here's Dr. Boss. Dr. Boss, I'm excited to bring you back to the show four times in less than a year, but this time is special because if you're watching on YouTube, we're here in person at the Keto Camp HQ. Thank you for making the drive down from Tampa, up from Tampa. Yes. Well, Ben, thank you very much. I, I couldn't believe that's all happened in a year. I know. That we were within a year and four visits and they've been great. I have more people tell me, oh, what you did on Ben's show. I'm like, what did I say on Ben's show? <laughs> your brilliance, like you're going to share today. Yeah. If you missed those episodes, we'll link them down below. We talked about your backstories, your books that you've written, your story about your mom. We talked a lot about mitochondrial uncoupling and A1C testing and advanced glycation and end products. So we're going to touch upon a few of those things, but I want to start with sugar. It's interesting because I put out some videos about sugar, just like you do, and you're really brilliant explaining what it does to disrupt our, our health. But I remember putting out a video of me in Kentucky and I was sitting in Kentucky. I had my videographer and I said, I'll hit record. I have an idea. So I was just sitting at a restaurant and I said, you know, what's weird is if I pulled out a cigarette and start smoking in front of people, people would look at me and either consciously or subconsciously say, dude, smoking kills. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to harm yourself. But if I pulled out like a soda or a Snickers bar or Skittles and ate that in front of them, they wouldn't think a second thought. Same thing with their children, right? And there were some comments saying, yeah, Ben, you're right. There were some people saying it's totally not the same thing. So is sugar that bad? How bad is sugar really? Well, you've picked the right audience. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think one of the hardest things to like pensively put into other people's brains, like just see what I've seen and, and incorporate it into your processing 
is what happens at such a slow, tiny level, but at a massive price in the end. And it's that insidious creeping of cellular death that happens when sugar is abused again and again. You know, I was looking at a, an autopsy uh, of a, actually a friend whose child had some chemotherapy and had some really tough um, chapters and he had some calcification in his arteries and she wanted to know if it was from the chemo. And I went and looked to see, is there any reported documentation? This He was a kid, 22, but had had a really tough chapter of life for three years and then died. And she sent me the autopsy and you start to think about, um, well, look at the, look at what the, what the report said about the, the fat that was around his liver. And he wasn't obese, but the places where he was putting his fat was dangerous enough that even at 22 years old, there was calcification in an artery. That's, that's an old man's problem 60 years ago. When I first started as an internist, uh, internal medicine is supposed to start at puberty, take them to the grave. So you'll get some teenagers, but most kids who are attached to their doctor in their pediatric years are going to wait as long as possible to transfer to that adult doctor. And I had never had a pediatrician call me and say, you know, I've got this type two diabetic for the first 15 years of my practice. And now I have pediatricians calling me saying, I have this 16 year old and, you know, I've maxed out this medication for type two diabetes. I've maxed out this medication for type two diabetes. What do you do next? And I'm like, how old are they? This is a disease that is supposed to be north of, north of 40 is still shocking in internal medicine. North of 80 is what when you said, okay, you have my permission to now have problems with sugar, you're 80. When that is the case at, at 16, and we have maxed out the medications because to transfer what it's doing at a cellular level, and you say, oh, it's okay, it's their birthday. Ah, oh, it's all right, it's a little bit. Same thing. It's just one cigarette. Mm-hmm. Oh, the cigarette isn't the problem. It's the cigarette that gives you that crave for the next cigarette. So then it's the volume of cigarettes. And then it's the area under the curve. Like, well, what age did you start? How many packs per day? You know, did you ever take a break? Do the same area under the curve with with sugar intake. And you're like, I don't know, right after they're done nursing, we start finding ways sugar gets in their diet in a way that is totally not healthy. And then the place they put on fat, the, the dial for what insulin does with area under the curve, like how many times, how many days, how many months are they now at it? That by the time they're 12, sure, the kid's 40 pounds overweight, but it's a kid whose family all has diabetes and now they have it at 15, maxed out by 16 on all my meds. Like this is preventable, this is reversible. The, the data to, to prove that is no longer in question. It's how do you transmit this message to a community? And, you know, you can find some great political angles saying, oh, we should tax the sugars. Oh, we should, you know, shame them for being overweight, finding all kinds of ways to say, what's the right way for society to do that? And I'll tell you, nothing works better than mom and dad's Mm -hmm. education and what happens at that dinner table. And the matriarchs of the world are the mothers. They set the pace for what families eat 
Sure, there's the exception, but that is really the message mothers put into a family and into a kid's menu. And, you know, especially you know, studying what women, what women's bodies, what their consequences are, especially those who birth children, they're going to have to be even more strict for their bodies. And you'd like to see that that strictness transfers down to the kids, but it's only if mom's had a serious health injury or has really kind of decoupled from the general population's conversation and said, let's hear what they're saying over in this column. Mm -hmm. Otherwise those kids are, uh, they're on a path that says, yes, sugar, is that dangerous? Because there's no outward sign. So our family uh, is, I'm just about to start senior year for my youngest child. Uh, Today was the first day of school. So we have a season where they listen to mom and their boys. So about 12 or 13, they start to slightly not listen, but definitely by 14 and a half, they don't use (laughs) verbs and they don't listen to mom. It's on dad's shoulders, but they like competition. So I, I have a continuous glucose monitors that I've been playing with and just saying, well, let's watch what happens. And my poor husband gets to be the experiment for a lot of things in life. And so I had three of them and said, well, let's do it a three way uh, experiment. One for me, one for him and one for my teenage son who's you know, in the middle of what he calls dirty bulking. Dirty bulking. <laughs> I don't even know yeah. if that word is a real word. I, I just, it is. <laughs> it's his excuse to not eat sardines. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that's a way to bulk. Sardines are loaded in nutrients and calories. Oh yeah, but he thinks carbs are needed to bulk. Ah. Anyway, mom doesn't know anything yet. So <laughs> that'll be a few years from now. But dang, it was amazing to watch his blood sugars. You know, his muscle mass and how much that kept his blood sugars stable. And he's 17. He's been in a household where he doesn't get abundant access to carbs. But you look at that comparison to every other person around him and then watch that glucose monitor that even when he was really naughty, <laughs> like had a bunch of sugar, his glucose monitor would barely blip. Is that because he's active and the amount of muscle mass he has? So yeah. it's acting like a sponge. And he's young. And he's young. That's the point where, okay, so you you try to say to teenagers don't have this to, you know, moms with their young kids and you say, well, their blood sugar is fine. And it is. And even look at their A1C, their average blood sugar, they can control it so quickly. Their cells haven't spent years under the high insulin. You have to have, there's a tipping point where that cell will no longer listen and then gets a little worse and then gets a little worse. And then there's a time where there's there's a death sentence on the cells that make insulin. And that's a point of no return for patients. But those teenagers, it's, it's almost impossible to see it. Like the ones that have diabetes are shocking to me. Like, oh my goodness, you have had to have so much sugar to have that by yeah. the time you're 16. So, you know, to say, well, have them check their blood sugars. I can say that to my folks that have had, you know, abdominal weight for five to 10 years, but you can't say that to the young ones because the evidence is difficult to prove. It's at such a cellular level and the price is hidden. So in that scenario with the ch- like your son who's handling the glucose well, how do you teach them to maybe, because over time, if your son keeps doing that, it'll catch up. Oh, like you absolutely. said, there's a tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. Insulin will keep screaming and eventually the, that's not going to be heard as efficiently as it is being heard right now. Then those glucose levels will raise. So how do you educate that to your son if you're not seeing that right now with those blood sugar readings? Yeah, the best data that is possible that is out there is what it does to his brain. Mm. 
And the good part is, is when you have that health and then they're, they overload, uh, he can feel what I'm saying is true. Uh, and I, I really think that when you're speaking to teenagers, they can smell a lie. Oh, they can smell a lie. If you exaggerate things, they'll Google it and they'll prove you wrong. <laughs> Ask me how I know that. <laughs> like, well, I, I don't want you to do this behavior. There's got to be a study out there somewhere that says I'm right. <laughs> but when it comes to brain functions, I mean, the tool tools we have are functional MRIs and to watch how much less of their brain activity is, um, is, in, is engaged when they've had, it has to have swelling in the brain. So they have to have the sugar that, and the insulin that is allowing just enough swelling, but brains are very sensitive, especially those teenage brains. And you'll get functional MRIs that are not, they can't pull in the resources uh, nearly as efficiently and they can't recover as, as quickly. But a teenage boy that's been pretty keto or been pretty low processed food and then just splurges when mom's not watching <laughs> and then he'll sleep. He'll just say, oh, I just had to go to sleep. Mm. And so the brain data is pretty easy for me to, to use. The, the other places that I've, I've really been, you know, it's hard to get kids to pay attention because that resilience is amazing, Right. But my, one of my favorite studies that's been around for many years was what happened with brain, teenage brains and alcohol. And this correlates in a minute to the insulin and just, I'll, I'll link it back. So these teenage boys were in a functional MRI and were tested. Uh, so they're taking a test where they lay in the functional MRI and you can see how much of their brain was required to function well on the test. One boy was a normal teenage boy, and they were both like 16 or something. The test was done on a Wednesday. The other boy was a kid who got drunk every uh, Friday and Saturday night. So he was a binge drinker only on the weekends. And then, so by Wednesday, I mean, clearly he's sober, but you would think, well, does it have any attachment for what he had d done on, on that weekend, mm -hmm. right? So the recruitment of activity is what this functional MRI was set for. And the lack of brain activity during the test was worse than an elder man with Alzheimer's. Wow. It was shocking. And so you put those three up there and I've been a bit evil with my kids. So whenever I would go to the Department of Defense and I'd give this 12-hour workshop on how to heal brains from trauma, what you don't hear in that title is what you're, they're really learning is People think trauma is this physical, you know, concussion, and boxing and football, but the biggest trauma to brains is chemical. The chemicals that work fast are alcohol and, you know, crystal meth and THC. The chemicals that work slowly are high insulin. So he had to sit through one of these because uh, I, I needed a, a slide advancer. Ah, smart. You prepared this ahead of time. <laughs> and he would- Strategic. Yeah, right. It was great. So he had a job to do. He was helping me and he advanced the slides, but he had to pay attention. That was what the, the key was there. And this slide deck was the you know the first time when my middle son went through it, about a week later, he texts me, hey, mom, can you send me that picture of the brains with, and he would refer to the story. So when Chancellor, my youngest son went through it, it was about a week and a half later again, where he's like, hey, mom, can, can I see your slide deck? He wouldn't, you would, didn't want my help. But I'm like, sure, sure, I'll get you those pictures. Meaning they're listening and they're, it's so powerful when you see, here's what our 
medical advancements, especially for the brain, have shown. And, you know, that the power of, I'm going to be 52 in a few months. And to think back about what it's like to be 12 or 13 and they dream and they want and they look across the room and say, how do I get to reach for that? And praise God in our country, that's, you know, the opportunities are right in front of them. It, it is truly, the game will be won by the driven. And if you can help them see, oh yeah, if you want to be driven, don't, don't paralyze the growth of your brain, which is what the whole workshop really kind of is leading to that teenage brains are to be protected. Here's how you do that. If you have an injury, here's the things you would do. And, you know, one of the chapters is, or one of the modules is on different chemicals. And the one that I think is the hardest for people to really appreciate is what happens when they were overweight by the age of 20. And then they were more overweight by 25 and just the slippery slope of just a few more pounds, which is really like one or two bites a day when you're doing, dealing with sugar. It's like, you can't control for that. You, you cannot be that disciplined. And the way that human body ages, especially the brain, it is fixable, but it's better to be preventable. Amen. Yeah. So you Uh talked about diabetes and children now getting it. They had to change the name, right? It used to only be called adult onset diabetes. Now so many children get it. It's called type two diabetes or type one diabetes. When babies are born and they're breastfed, they're naturally in this state of ketosis. They're going in and out. Breast milk has saturated fat, cholesterol, and there's sugar, but the baby's using it. So it's naturally going in and out of the state of ketosis. Mm -hmm. And then typically, you know, like what happened with me and so many uh, American babies, the mom weans them off and then they're fed maybe like a sugar formula with high sugar, a baby formula with high sugar, high carbohydrates. And they're weaned off of that. They're eating their foods, but they're eating all day long, high carbohydrates. And eventually that catches up to you. Maybe when you're 16, maybe when you're 36, but if you don't make that switch and go back to this fat burning state, ketosis, mm-hmm. it's going to catch up to you. And to your point, it damages the brain, the blood vessels, it creates hyperinsulinemia, leads to diabetes, and that leads to a whole host of problems. So what about a parent who now has discovered Dr. Boz, right? She's been following your YouTube channel, or he, a father, and they've made their switch now. They know they've done a lot of damage to themselves, but they have kids, and unfortunately, they weren't aware of this back then when they were raising their kids, but now they are. Right. How do they make that switch to the kids now in the household? Because now the kids are used to eating a certain way. How do you make that switch now? Well, I, I always like to remind them that, uh, so let's, let's assume the kids are still under their roof. You think they're not listening. You think they're not paying attention. But I can remember some of the most ingrained behaviors I have, I learned when I was a teenager. So you think, oh, it's too late. They're 16. They're going to get really crabby. They don't like it. They can go on their own. Yeah, but they're watching you. Uh, Imprinted behavior, it is the way the brain is wired, even especially in those teenage years where the brain is growing very fast. So I I would do the same workshop in a teenage version. I called it a shelter, but it was really foster kids who were in a place where they hadn't quite been assigned to a home yet. And their parents were in a place they couldn't take care of them. And very transient group of people. So I would have about six modules that I do all on brains because the brains really got them attracted to the information and the pictures were great. And even if they hadn't had the lessons before, they could really dial in. And I could always tell if somebody had been to that because even years later, I'd be in the grocery store and these 
people that are now adults would come up and say, hey, Dr. Boz, my hippocampus is doing well. (laughs) (laughs) So they would dial in and say that the lesson there is that growth in the teenage years is the most highest commodity they have are the cells in your hippocampus are rapidly dividing and growing. And mine don't get to do that. Yours don't get to do that. Once a brain is fully developed, that growth rate of hippocampus is, is like in the single digit percentages during a time of repair, uh, as opposed to a, you know, 20, 30, 40% growth rate over several months uh, when it's, when it's in those teenage years. So whatever behavior they see, they, they are learning at a level that you, you can't appreciate how that's going to grow with their life. So I tell par- parents that you have until 26, just keep doing it. Keep being the version of them you want them to be. And, you know, I'm really big on, you're the leader of them. You are their direction in life. And so they, the habits you think they're not watching, they're watching. You know, you, you know, parents would say, I go out to the garage and smoke. I never smoke in front of my kids. I'm like, yeah, but you disappeared when you were stressed out. What you should have done, what I would encourage you to do is tell your kid, I'm stressed out. I really want a cigarette right now. I'm trying to stay present. Here's some other things I'm trying to do. Oh my goodness, would your kid learn a lot? So when parents say, yeah, I don't want to be a carb-filled family and I know how good it is for their brains, but you know, my kid is a forgotten cause. Like I'm not going to just give them to the wolves. I'm like, no, you buy the groceries, you run the money, they get the money from you. So my kids have an unlimited access to Starbucks. They know better than to drink Starbucks sugar foods, <laughs> like the, the sugar drinks, but there's enough eggs there that they are not going to die. And they can, if they're going to buy any other food, they can get it in a different way. I'll hook up the Starbucks app to my phone, to my account, and I'll pay for your Starbucks where they've got drinks that aren't sugary that are in the cool zone, whatever that that needed to be enough attraction. And that there's eggs at any time of the day that you want to have food, you can have food. Now they're teenagers and they don't make perfect decisions. But when I look at parents and they've they're willing to take their kid to the psychiatrist or the pediatrician and say, I think it's ADHD, or I think that they just can't focus. And, you know, I've got several colleagues who have a line in the sand and I'll to say, before I write a stimulant for anyone, the whole family goes into a state of ketosis, Mm. that there is no processed food carbs in the cupboards. There are no processed foods in the menu and mom quit buying them. I mean, that access and that imprinting really matters. The other part that I, always, I think people should think about is, is it safe for kids? And when you look at the literature on the seizure disorders, I mean, it's not a little bit of data. It's not data from three years ago. It's 1950s is when this experiment started and these you know, seizure failures, meaning they had been on Depakote, they'd been on lithium, maybe Depakote wasn't around, but the standard treatments for seizures at the time, and they failed, they couldn't get the seizures to stop. And so they were the keto kids. And as long as they were 100% compliant with a ketogenic state, they stayed out of a seizure phase. They didn't wet their pants, they didn't fall to the ground. I mean, this is not a little bit of, yeah, I cheated, so I have a, a slow, foggy brain. No, they have severe outcomes when they would fall off. And these uh, seizure patients were in the kind of study that (laughs) as an internist you love, but you never see, you rarely see, not funded by a drug company. And they were 
the people who started the study were not going to see the results because they are autopsy results at the end of their natural life. And when I wrote my first book, Any Way You Can, one of the first autopsies had been made public. Now, since then, there's several more, but uh, so it's one of the seizure kids. They're in there, you know, I think he was late 80s. And the autopsy, I'm like, it must be wrong because this 80-year-old who has a history of childhood seizures. So that's not how many seizures did you have in a week. It's how many times is their brain seizing in an hour? It's just a constant, I mean, daily seizures are in the hundreds. So, and every time you seize, you deteriorate the brain. It's a, it's an injury. It's a, you know, the, the, the fat that's lining the, the neuron uh, is melted. You have myelin sheaths that are wimpy and moth-eaten. Every seizure, it gets worse. So now take that time to 80 years. So they got on a ketogenic diet and they were compliant. They had to be. So they aged into their 90s and not only did their brain not have the defects that are typical of a seizure, a life, lifetime of seizures, but the neurofibril tangles that are highly linked to all the disease, the brain diseases of aging, like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or ALS, those neurofibril tangles, those tau proteins were they were not there. I'm like, what do you mean not there? Like they were low? No, they were not there. And of course, this was just the first autopsy. I haven't studied the other ones quite as intensely, but the other part that was very shocking was everybody has cancer in them. There's cancer happening and you're, it's this fight against your body's repair system and you know, filter of this, this is a defect that your cancer load will go down. But the other part they had filtered the blood. They had looked for cancer in this man. And he's like, there's, there's no cancer. Wow. And that might sound like, oh yeah, sure. That's great. He didn't die of cancer. I'm like, no, no, no. Everybody's got some. Right. So, you know, go back to Steve Jobs when Steve Jobs had pancreatic cancer. And he's like, well, you know, I have all the most innovative people in the world helping me and I can filter out and find the cancer and then we can re Okay, that's not how it works. Uh, I mean, it's a great invention, and I think, wow. But prevention is in the you gotta you gotta have the the enemy fighting against cancer from the the day the cancer cell starts. So for this person to have no cancer, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the pathologist missed some. It's got to be cancer somewhere. But it was so low that he was willing to put it in his report that I'm standing on none. Come check my work. So the when. Parents look at, so you first look at safety when teenagers or even kids say, is it, is it safe to put them on keto? And then what we really should be asking is, is it safe to have this much insulin stimulated from the age of five? I mean, from right after breastfeeding. And that answer is clearly no. Clearly we have like these diseases get younger and younger. I mean, the number of arthritis syndromes that a rheumatology clinic should be filled with elders. Now they're filled with 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and even teenagers who are getting joint replacements because parents couldn't find any other option. And, you know, the only prescription drugs we could do for these people with immune and joint destruction is, let me just dial down your immune system. That's what my drug does. <laughs> and you're like, what do you mean? For like a week? No, for a for, lifetime. Yeah, which like, has a whole, whole host of other problems down the line, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, look at how much energy you put into, a, you know, an infection like HIV, which is an immune system that's broken, right? Like it, the virus, it's broken. And then the consequences of living with that are, well, they're going to get, I mean, you have to have hyper alert for any infection because of how weakened it is. 
And now you want me to prescribe that same kind of syndrome as you're, you have a weakened immune system forever at 15 because we can't talk about a ketogenic option. You know, there's, there's a bit of anger and I've, I've actually really uh, looked toward how do you serve the, the teens and those young adults where life blew up. And yeah, I think of these foster kids where they didn't have a stable unit. Uh, the foster families are great, but in, especially in the middle, where you're trying to get someone assigned and why some of the toughest assignments are a teenager who's got a foster family now that says, here, come live by our rules. And even if you've never been to church, we're going to church with us and you've you know, never given up Doritos. Now we don't buy Doritos. You know, you've never not had cereal and we're not doing that. And you say, well, how important it is and how much you could have probably course corrected a lot of the struggles mom and dad were having had their brain not been swollen by persistent insulin uh, laden diets. Uh, that in and of itself would have course corrected maybe not all of their behavior problems, but behavior problems are very real. I mean, yeah. Ask any teacher today saying, I don't know how to manage the classroom anymore. The energy is so toxic. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do 
is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. So with keto, we know that a ketogenic diet could, as you just mentioned, could be such a great tool for them, but you can't really put it into a pill. You can't make a lot of money from it. So do you think that's one of the reasons why it's not widely accepted as a valuable tool that we could use for these individuals? You think that it's because you can't put it into a pill, big pharma can't capitalize on it. That's why it's not spoken about, spoken about, or in fact, it's actually bashed in some cases. Mm. You know, I've thought about this too. There, there's, I mean, you want to blame government or you want to blame that uh, the pharma and I'm from corns and beans for beans for as, mile, for as long as you can go in South Dakota. This one's got corn, that one's got beans. This one's got corn, that one's got beans. And then there's some alfalfa and this one's got corn. So you, you look at from the farming industry to the food industries to the, to the manu, but we're all still eating them. And we're all still buying them. And we're all still asking for those things. When, when I look at what's my dream, what's my prayer to say, I don't, I don't know how long I get to be on this earth, but it, I have a, a few goals of trying to stop as many prescriptions as I've started. And I didn't really start the ketogenic way in my practice till I think it was 18 years in the standard prescription style of an internist. And well, I'm really good at prescriptions. So I have a lot of penance to go backwards on. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there and beyond, by the way. Well, you know, I think, so there's a couple of places where you say there are people like you and there's, you know, in my channel and the other leaders in this space who've just said, I don't care. I don't care what the consequences are that I'm going to go against the stream because the health in my life in my family and the people I love is so much better. It's worth it. And then I think there's a test of strength in your own you know, fortitude where so many people, and I'm sure you've run into this as well, they'll come onto the ketogenic diet and they lower the carbs. And that first wave of ketones is so rewarding. And it's like, oh, this really is that easy. You're like, yep. And then you're just like, hang in there. <laughs> Please show up for the support group because the crash when their body resets. Yeah. That unfortunately, what they didn't tell that teenager or that you know, eight-year-old when they were having all those carb and highly processed foods is that this tiny bit up, you're not going to feel. But the tiny bit back, sure, that wave of ketones they can feel. But now you got to tighten behavior up again to get another wave of ketones. Now you got to add another tool, which you probably should have always been doing, but society didn't encourage that. Uh, so the way back has these steps of, it's not a long you know, like what my, what I think my patients went through for that low calorie, low fat, <laughs> 10 years of sunken brains. It's not that they don't have that game, but they feel so amazing. And then they think it's going to be that easy for the next two years to get to the goal they're going to need. And the wave passes and then they need another step down. And then th that wave is not as heavy and not as easy and doesn't last as long before then they need another reset and they have to keep dialing in behaviors. And so when, when I look at big pharma or, you know, well, I look at society saying, no, if you're going to have this very rich life, 
it's going to have setbacks. It's not, life isn't fair. Uh, every rule book that, and every culture in every religion says, yeah, it's not fair. And here's what's going to happen. But more importantly, there's not a lot of behaviors around you. Everybody does like the easy, gluttonous, quick fix. Welcome to America. Here's mm -hmm. the dream. And so I tell my staff and I, I tell the folks at my support group that there is nothing better. There's no better commercial. There's no better uh, endorsement than a healthy person walking out the door saying, no, the easy way isn't. It's not, the price is too big. Who do I blame? I, I think I've given up on the blame anywhere and just said what we have control over is keep being the example that I have to do the tough stuff too. My family has to do the tough stuff too. We don't get the benefits to stick around. In fact, when I compared those glucose monitors to me, my husband and my son, I'm the worst one. I mean, my husband, who's keto, but he, he likes his Coca-Cola despite his wife's <laughs> shame over it. Like, shame on you. That's terrible. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> 30 years of happily married. His mother fed him that when he was four. Mm -hmm. And it was the default drink the whole way through. I, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance <laughs> of winning for anything keto. But by golly, his numbers are very good. Wow. And I say, well, you didn't birth three children. <laughs> <laughs> I have this nice layer of extra fat because we have kids. <laughs> but it's true that, 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 you know, I also think my family's got more insulin resistance than his does. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, it's the cross you bear. It's not fair. Um, but it is, I mean, that's the example I want, we want for our kids that we want. I, I try to put out in the support group that when the person comes to support and they're the first in that wave of the first uh, uh, keto and their their glucose is better. Like I had this woman who's been on insulin for a long time. She shows up at our support group and she's got like ketones of 3.4 and I'm off insulin. And I'm like, I'm holding my breath as she's doing her check-in going, how many days keto are you? <laughs> and now it's about a month later. Maybe it's about six weeks later. And that has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. She's yeah. back on insulin. Uh, and she's like, but I, I was still doing so good. I'm like, yeah, I know. Your body will adapt. Mm -hmm. And I think I just think those are the, that what they didn't tell you as your body got worse. Yeah. Now that you especially can measure, she's a, you know, insulin injecting diabetic. She's got to check her sugars. She's like, well, this is, this is not working. Like, no, it's working. It's just that you got to tighten things up. You got to tighten it up again. You're going to have to tighten it up again. You get off that insulin. It's a game. It's a long game. Do you have a lot of clients who say, what am I doing wrong? Like they, they put fault on themselves when they think it's not working because those numbers always change. Do they, do they use that language? And if they do, how do you correct that? Yeah, that it's either they, there's two places, there's two camps that they'll come in and say, what am I doing wrong? And then I'll, they'll say, is it something we haven't found yet? Mm. Like, is it a hormone issue or is it my thyroid or, you know, is it, you know, do I have an extra stomach? You know, they, they want this to be some mysteriously rogue diagnosis that their system's not working right. And the truth is, no, insulin resistance is, it's a long game and it's difficult to, to correct it. And you, you have to, you have three levers that I, I think people can pull on. And so when they're in that, in that game of it must be my fault or what I call the distraction phase, you know, they'll say, well, can I try 
Ozempic. Can I have one of the appetite suppressants? Can't we do like, let's make my, my hormones more bioidentical. Like I said, when you get done with all that, come back and I'll teach you what to do next. Because, you know, the one I'm thinking of right now is you're 65. Your hormones have very little to do with this problem. What has a lot to do with this problem is you're 65. And this problem started in your 20s. Then, then the amount of, of insulin got worse every decade, not only because you ate more, but because the particle sizes of our food got more refined, that the textures became even smoother, that the abundance became even more. And you got taught all this crap that said, eat every two hours on a low-fat diet for at least two decades in there. And now you're trying to undo it. So when they get to that phase, I say, here, we've got three levers to really push on your metabolism. And this, of course, is that you still have a thyroid. And as much as adrenal fatigue happens, it's it's a terrible this garbage bag for diagnoses. I don't don't look there. That's your cells are are ill. Yes. It has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about, about how do we get them to turn over? How do you get new mitochondria? How do you push out of this slump in a way that actually has return on your investment? So the first one that I think is the easiest, especially because I take care of a lot of folks. I think my average age of my population has been like somewhere around 62 or something. Wow. <laughs> so they're older. So step one, give them the results. Manipulate the food. So get the carbs low and let them... Let them do the gluttony. Just eat as much as you want. I tell them, eat as much as you want. But as you look at the, where's the strategy for what, what, what they'll need to do next is they, they now put it into two boluses of food. And I say that on purpose to not, not call it a snack, not call it a mint, not call it gum. No, two times that you're, you masticate. Your brain hears the signal from your parotid and your muscles that you're chewing. Okay, that's two times a day. You do not need three meals a day. Now, if you want those to be eight hours apart, fine. That's your eating window of two times a day. And now we're going to try and squeeze them closer together. And then we're going to try and push them closer to sunrise. Those trends are all what's important in still one lever we've pushed here, which is manipulate and try to match where the pathology is happening in an insulin resistant patient. So I'll I'll go back to the 62 year old who had said, I've been doing everything you ask. I'm sure there's something wrong and I'm, I'm going to go to this endocrine doctor uh, to see if I can get all my hormones tested. Now, Medicare won't pay for it, so it's going to cost me like $4,000. I'm like, don't spend your $4,000 there. You're not going to find the results. First of all, the, when people go in for those mass labs, it is one moment in time. And endocrine, by definition, it's volatile. It changes, you know, just having the day at the doctor's office raises your anxiety and cortisol level so that it's not normal for you. So as, as I said, save your $4,000, start with, do you have it in two boluses? You know, when they do it in one bolus, that's fine, but I would still say work for two and that's the edges of your eating window. Uh, in somebody who's been that insulin resistant, they, they make, you know, 15 times too much insulin for what they're a healthy version, a healthy, lean version of their body would. And you'll find the answers to that at the, you know, four o'clock in the morning blood sugars before the cortisol rise in the morning, before that, um, that pineal gland and your, in your liver start talking and they'll, they'll, they've been overstimulating this for 30 years. That's a lot of days. 
So to undo it, yes, get the meals closer to that rise in the morning. You're going to have a cortisol spike. I mean, you put continuous glucose monitors on these people and you're like, yeah, when you got up and you took a hot shower, that was enough of a stimulus that your blood sugar was high for the next three hours. And you say, if you're only going to eat once a day, then put it under that so that we only have one time your insulin went up and down because as your, your sugars went up and down because of your activity from all the massive amount of storage in your muscle mass and your liver, well, that comes with insulin. Insulin's our enemy right now. I need it to be less, as low amount of insulin as possible. Insulin stimulus is linked to mastication. Mm. So quit chewing, quit swallowing. And that means put that meal in the morning. Doc, I'm not hungry in the morning. I'm like, I don't care. Keep doing this for a few days and you'll learn to be hungry in the morning. This will come. You have learned to eat at, you know, seven o'clock at night. So the first lever is the food. Are they lowering their carbs or you said eat yeah. whatever? You, okay. No, yeah. no, no. 20 total carbs or less. Sorry. Okay. I, I missed the, the, the headline. So part of that first lever as they're eating two meals, they're chewing, they're masticating, mm -hmm. ideally early in the day. So morning time. We're lowering their carbs to a cap of 20 total grams for those two meals. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right. And they're focusing on fat and protein or fat in the beginning. I, I, I tell them just the thing they should count is carbs. Okay. Uh, Anything else, eat as much as you want, as long as it's high quality fat and protein. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Got it. Yeah. And I think, because the other part of this equation is, especially after doing this for nearly 25 years, you, you give them too much and you overwhelm their emotions. You overwhelm their support system and you shift their identity. Mm. Like they're gonna have a hell of a lot of identity shifting just to get the carbs out of their life. Then we, you know, we stop eating late at night. So now they're gonna have to figure out how to not snack. That's another identity shift. And you can't ping 10 identity shifts at once. They have to take on one and hold and take on one and hold. I mean, it's, it's the downside to what happens when somebody calls and says, I have cancer, I need you to do this right away. And I'm like, you can't do this without a support system. I won't see you without a support system. I won't, I won't take care of you without somebody doing this with you. And they need to be not somebody that supports you from across the country, but that lives near you. That this change, you need a partner to do this with. It's too much for one person. Yeah. You know, set aside the fact that they've got now mortality they're thinking about. So as I look at these, you know, 65 plus people that said, okay, we, we took down the, the total carbs. And now we say, all right, show me life for the last week. How many, what's the first calorie to last calorie? What is, you know, so what is their true eating window? How many days did you not screw it up? Like not cheat and nothing like a continuous glucose monitor to help them <laughs> keep track of that. Like, well, where do you think this spikes from? What do you think that spikes from? You know, this is at 930 at night. What'd you do then? Oh, that little snack. Yeah, that counts. <laughs> so yeah. your eating window is not four hours. Your eating window is 15. Yeah. Because that, those, just that little bite, you make too much insulin. And I think this is the hardest part. They'll come in and they'll bring you a study and say, well, this study says that ketogenic diet doesn't work. And I'm like, well, this study, first of all, was history lessons over a year, year's time of what they ate. Or this study didn't measure ketones. You can't prove to me that they were actually on a ketogenic, in a ketogenic state. And then finally, they, they were lean. You're not lean. You have... 50% of your body is fat. That is a, a lot of insulin it took to do that. And you're not going to fix in a day. You've got to have the identity shifts along with the chemistry shifts. All right. So lever number one is the carbs uh, and the food mm -hmm. and then timing of the food. But the second, sometimes it's as good as they can get that they say, all right, I can't get it any tighter than six hours. I fall off every time I do it. And I'm holding the 20 carbs, but 
I look at volume sometimes saying, well, let's make this meal the smallest meal. Of the two, here's a good idea for a small meal. And portion control is, I mean, it matters. It doesn't matter those first couple of waves where they can flex and get that wave of ketones, but it does matter for the longevity of, can I get them all the way healthy? Can they be the walking commercial that says, no, I did it. I broke the cycle. I am absolutely on a, a changed path. So ever number two, though, I use, especially in elders, is heat. I've tried to send them for exercise. And I think my stamina is broken as well because I did everything to get people to exercise. I mean, I, I, did, I did some of the silly stuff to get them to exercise. Like I would give them rewards, anything to prove that they were on. <laughs> give them cash. <laughs> I really want you to exercise. And it's just when they don't feel good and they've got that knee that does, it's just, it's such a sound. And then they hurt. And then it's, I've done this before doc. And then they get pissy. And the exercise doesn't do much if the chemistry's not right. If they're in a high insulin state, I mean, they can cardio themselves in the next week and still not get any lift in their mitochondria in a significant way to have sustainable weight loss. So you can hack that with, with sauna. And mm. I wish I would have, I wish I would have had that in my armamentarium 20 years ago, but here we are. Yeah. Four minutes in the sauna, even like you got to break a sweat. You got to get that sweat broken. And then it's got to be a rhythm. How often do you sweat? Can you get there for five minutes? Can you get there for six minutes? And here's where that data on, pushing somebody into a zone two heart rate. So you you know about zone two. You think your audience knows about zone two? Oh, explain it. Yeah, it's a certain heart rate you want to hit. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're looking at rebuilding mitochondria, you want that zone two to be 80% of what they do. And you'll hear people say, yeah, I have my, either they never get out of zone one, they never really break a sweat and hold it, or they bounce clear up to a really high heart rate and then quit. Like, okay, that's, that's just hurting you. That's just breaking cells right open and just barfing all over the other cells. <laughs> yeah. And they're probably going to feel tired the rest of the day. Right. And worn down. Exactly. But if you are looking for mitophagy, the quickest way to turn over a mitochondria to say that mitochondria is underperforming, stimulate it to go down and the next one to, to replace it. That's what we want. And that's what is the highest turnover, the highest stimulus without crashing is zone two. What was, what's the heart rate for zone two? I don't remember. Well, that's just the problem with zone two is you take it into research and then the research, you know, they put them on a VO2 max and then they say, okay, for oxygen in and carbon dioxide out and it's 20, 80% and the numbers get a little crazy. So then you can be a little less geeky than a VO2 max and you can have them check their lactate. So if you can't clear lactate quite as well, it's going to go up to this, this like, uh, I think it's a standard deviation above your baseline or maybe it's one millimeter above your one unit of whatever they're measuring. It's the first step up is what, what lactate is. And that holds them in zone two. And then three and four are based on lactate. So again, that waste product that the mitochondria couldn't handle it and turn it into the most efficient energy, it loops back, can be used as energy, but is really a marker to say, no, the muscles can't handle this. So as you get more healthy, the heart rate should adjust and... That's why, yes, your Apple Watch tells you zone two. It is a calculation. It is not as accurate as it right. should be. Yeah. But it's good enough. I mean, you test it to the athletes and even some of the elders that are horribly insulin resistant. It's good enough. Like, just use your zone two on your Apple Watch. It's close enough. I don't think my aura gives me that. 
I thought Aura did it on a certain setting, but you couldn't see it real Let's time. see. I played basketball today in a fasted state. Let's see what it okay. shows. I'll show you my stats here. It says that I have uh, 8,960 steps so far, and I spend 20 minutes, it shows in a high-intensity state, 50 minutes in a medium state, but I don't know what that means. So here, here's the, when you're translating this to patients, when you're playing basketball, obviously the super high-intensity state, you, you can't really talk, right? Correct. But in that zone two, you should be able to get like four words out. Like the sentences should be that a breath that's okay. lasting about four words long. And then you take another breath. Yeah. Okay. So you're not out of breath completely. That right. would be a higher zone. Mm -hmm. But you could speak about four words and then you're out of breath. You got to take another breath and then speak more four more words. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Honestly, because the other- <laughs> Without testing your without lactate. Testing, because as your mitochondria change- it's how quickly can it convert the fuel? So as soon as you get a little, another, you know, you push them into zone two for, let's say they got three hours of zone two in a 10 day period. Well, in the next 10 days, that has a new crop of mm. mitochondria who are all doing a more efficient job. They're not leaking as many of those, you know, free radicals and, you know, wasting energy. They're actually efficiently converting the fuels to energy. And that's, that's how health happens, right? So now, will the heart rate change that fast? This is always where I've said, Okay, it's close. But the two rules I tell patients is you should be sweating in zone two. Mm. Okay, if you, Doc, I never sweat. Well, yes, you'll sweat. Uh, number two is that the, the breathlessness is about that four, maybe five word sentence. And then they need to take a, another breath. And so the breathlessness shows you the oxygen demand is, is in that zone. And I find most people are not going to check their lactate. <laughs> They're not. I haven't done that myself. Right. How long should we spend in that zone too? So that's the key. 80% of your workout should be there. So what I tell patients is if you're going into a sauna and you're trying to do this in the name of mitochondrial health, 20 minutes in the sauna is a pretty good goal. Most of my patients start at four and then we slowly get up into that 20 minutes. Of the 20 minutes, you want at least half the time in zone two. Mm. If you're in there 40 minutes, then I push to say, okay, if you've gotten to the point where you can tolerate a sauna, usually it's not 40 straight minutes. They go into the sauna, then they take a break and then they go back, like they cool down and then they go back in the sauna. Sometimes there's a cold plunge in there if they're really fancy and have lots of resources. But when you've got like that 40 minutes of time under the heat, then I'm pushing for at least 60% of their time to be in zone two. And I think the key is don't go through the suffering of getting yourself hot in a sauna and then don't have evidence that your heart rate is getting up high enough. Like use this to say, let it be worth the trade over of your mitochondria. And just like anything, it's not going to do anything on one time in there. You've got to find a rhythm that says, okay, I aim for this three times a week. I aim for this. My husband does sauna every day. Mm. Do you have your own sauna or do you, does he go somewhere? Well, when we lived in South Dakota, we had a sauna in our house. We did not plan on it. It was a storage room for like the first two years we lived there. And I'm like, it is actually a sauna. I wonder if it works. <laughs> so then during COVID, we got like, it was our date. That's <laughs> you know? awesome. Like, uh, four to, you know, it sounds like, oh, that's so romantic. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, you're like, sweating in there. Do not touch me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, everybody's got their headphones on. Don't speak to me. <laughs> Don't st touch me. But the accountability is he would go and I, I would want to you know, keep doing what I was doing and I would say, okay, okay, I'll stop for the sauna. And of course I'd feel so much better. And I would work, you know, I'd think so much better afterwards that it was worth the break, but especially because you're really stimulating them. So we were in the pretty much six to seven days a week zone when we lived in South Dakota. And then 
you think living in Florida is a sauna, but it's not the same. <laughs> no, not that, not zone two right. yet. <laughs> so then we had to drive an hour and a half to get to a sauna. So we did it like oh, once boy. a week. Um, I have a couple of those blankets, but they take sauna blankets, but they take a lot longer to yeah. get you to that state. So instead of like 30 minutes, maybe getting to zone two, you might get there like in 50 minutes. So it takes a little bit longer. So the, my son's a wrestler. So the first year we're in Florida, he needs... Uh, well, we don't cut weight in my house. You live in the weight you're supposed to for the season, but Christmas is hard. <laughs> Wrestling season is over Christmas. So for Christmas, uh, my husband, I made such fun of him for this. He bought one of these saunas off of Amazon that was a steam sauna in a tent. Hmm. And it's $150. Uh, you it's know pretty what? cheap for that. Yeah. This is actually really uh, inventive. Uh, the pressure cooker that's the modern day pressure cooker is called um, Instapot. Yes. So yeah. the Instapot, they took an Instapot and they um, hooked up a hose to it so that they would pressure cook the water with, and it would steam within about six minutes. And then you would have a steamed sauna and that worked really well. Okay. The first, he, the first one he got <laughs> on Christmas day, it worked for six hours because the family was cycling through it, seeing if it worked. And then it died. And I said, see, that's what you get for hundred. <laughs> yeah. It sounded cheap to me for a sauna. <laughs> but he got the, he got a replacement one from them because he said it broke. And we actually kept the parts because it worked forever. I mean, it really did work and it did not break. And it was 150 bucks. And you're like, oh my gosh. And my, my watch would get up high. I mean, my, my zone would it hit. It would take a little longer to start. And oh my God, it was so I have a teenage son who's a wrestler. So it was just so stinky. <laughs> so I did spend some time saying, all right, the pop-up sauna looks like, A, something that technology should be able to meet. And I tried several of them. Most of them did not get me out of zone one. But one of them, one of them did. It's called Relax Sauna. And it cost a couple thousand dollars though. Yeah. Maybe it's 1500 or something. So they were more expensive. But what I love about it is it's hot instantly. Like- yeah. I mean, within about a minute, it's just, oh, and then my heart rate goes up and I can hang out and so on. So I can actually, you know, count when I get in the, in the sauna, in the little pop-up thing that, all right, if I set my goal of 30 minutes, I'm going to have 20 minutes of it in that intense heat that should be getting me into zone two. It's just how well I can. I love that. No, that's, it. that's fantastic. So what it's doing is mitophagy. So it's mm -hmm. stressing the mitochondria. It's forcing it to adapt. And right. the, the weak mitochondria the innate intelligence essentially gets rid of it. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are stronger get even stronger or right. it creates even more mitochondria through mitochondrial bi biogenesis. Right. So it raises your basal metabolic rate. So you mm -hmm. burn more calories mm -hmm. and you produce more energy. So you feel better. It's, it is, it's a win. And you look at that same problem where we were talking, is it, you know, pharma is a big, mm -hmm. big, big agriculture. And you say, well, it's, the, the pride of having done something stressful, that intense, intentional health-based stress, you know, hormesis, whatever word you want to call it. Yeah. No, you did something hard and you, you did a little bit better than yesterday. And that sense of self-pride, that sense of accomplishment that I really, as soon as I do it once and then they do it again, and then they start to say, I can do it longer, especially if they've got a watch where they're watching the heart rate. So now you're using data-driven metrics to replace your mitochondria. And that 62-year-old, that's what I said she needs to do. Like, okay, here's what you've got with your social life that you can make your meals this 
this a little bit better. She could she could tweak a few things in the way she was eating. She probably could do some extended fasting, which I don't use the word fasting until at least 36 hours. So if she put a 48 hour fast in once a week, that's a that's her lever. That's a good lever. But the sauna, that is a fantastic place. And you know, she has arthritis. She has a severe injury where getting her to do resistance training is a good theory, but she's going to do it in an isolated place. She's not going to have a coach. Yeah, she might hurt herself yeah. to have a setback. Yeah. And then you're like, okay. And then we, then we lose all momentum. So I don't, I don't have them reach for that resistance training, that third lever until they have the first two levers, at least in a rhythm. And I have, I have other leaders in the space who push back against that. You should be pushing exercise earlier. And I'm like, you come sit in this chair. We have a different audience. Yeah. You know, you have 62 year olds who have arthritis in different conditions. Like it's probably yeah. not a good idea to start them off there. It, it is. And you say, you want to take this gal with an 150 extra pounds and walk her around and say, now muscle through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I do love resistance training. I think, you know, one of my personal goals is to CrossFit in my 80s. Mm, that's great. <laughs> I did a show, uh, my live show last uh, week. I've been reviewing, do, I've done this three times in my career where I look at the audience in my practice and I sort them into those who are, they're escaping. They're getting free of me. That's the goal. As much as that's not a good business plan, they are, they don't need me. The prescriptions are gone. The health is truly back. And I don't see relapse in their future. Like they're not going to come back crashing down without, you know, outside of a major medical issue. And you say, well, what are they doing? And so the first time I did it, I, I had wrote down, like, I think it was six things. And then I did it when I changed practices. I left corporate medicine and I was starting my own practice and I was trying to think, well, what is it about the people who do this, who break the cycle, who they uh, are not, they, they escape. They are not destined for this life. They got it. And I had about 12 of them then. And so I did it again and said, okay, what are the six things? You know, I, I, six seems to be like the truth. Like a lot of them were duplicates, I think. And, you know, data and measuring data is, even when you're in a slump, that's what they do. They look at the numbers that are data. And when I look at why do I push people to do resistance training after those two, the way I talked about it was how to be the happy loser. <laughs> that I go to CrossFit and I am the oldest lady in the room and I have to ban my pull-ups and I can only box jump whatever the side one is that's the lowest. And I don't care. I still did it. Yeah. And even though I lose every time I go to grass because they, you know, keep score and how many reps did you do? And how many moms did you do? And I'm like, I'm the happy loser because I'm still there. Yeah. You're and really a winner <laughs> right? for yeah. showing up and doing it. And I think that's the mentality is that, you know, compare to you and, and then don't quit. I mean, you really, I do think that, you know, keeping that persistence in, muscle training exercises is important for the long game. And you can see a lot of the folks that put exercise at the beginning, what I've seen happen over and over again is the patients quit, they quit, and then you have nothing. And then you try to bring it up again and it's the, and it's really a stone wall that you have to start with the things that have the easiest wins first for these that are severely metabolically ill. And when they come in saying, doc, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? They want to get better but they also have a memory, a history of, I've been told to do this a hundred times. I'm you know, 63 years old. 
you think I haven't done this before you? You think no one's told me this before? So to put those levers in a sequence where the chemistry has to be right first. And once you get them to that, all right, just take the, ride the wave, ride the wave of those ketones first, then add heat in a way that you continually track your metrics. How many minutes did you make it? How many times a week are you going? The investment isn't, I mean, this gal, $4,000 to check her labs, which no one was going to reimburse her for, and it's going to be useless in three weeks because then your chemistry's changed again. There's much better ways to figure out what's going on with your hormones than that mess. Yes, that sauna is more expensive than you want, but there are ones for $150. That's possible. Mm. And um, Or just move to Miami. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash Keto Camp and use the coupon code Keto Camp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out and let's get right back to this episode. And I think the community-based, you know, the positive peer pressure is what I think CrossFit does. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah. it's so wonderful. The community is incredible. It's, it's really, that's why they're so successful. Uh, mm-hmm. And CrossFit's not as popular as it was maybe five years ago or so, but it's still pretty well known worldwide. And it's that community aspect. It's true. Like I tell my, you know, these people in my, I'm like, go to your CrossFit gym. And if they tell you that you can't do it, then go to a different one because everything is scalable. Ask me how I know. That's true. And I'm sure since you finished last and like the workouts, those who finish before you are there encouraging you. Yes. Like, come on, Dr. Boss, finish. That's what they do. It That's the environment. And you're like, you know. I'll- like I better finish. They're all watching me. You know, I, I first started when my kids were, they had CrossFit kids. And so that's the wall ball mess I was telling you about earlier that it was way too hard of a workout for me. And I was really too, my ego was a little high at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You could check the ego at <laughs> right, CrossFit. I did. I'm like, okay, I want to live through tomorrow, but, but I have three sons, right? And I do not want them to imprint my weakness, <laughs> but you go, you take them to a CrossFit gym for you with you. And there's always men in the room doing. You'll, you'll be imprint. humbled fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you say, look at that encouragement that they see this is what it looks like to age in a, you know, physically fit way. Mm -hmm. And please be the beacon for my kids to see that. Yeah, I love that. It it is. And I have a few folks that had never been in a gym, went to a CrossFit and said, yeah, there's a couple other folks that are old. The CrossFit was in Orlando. So I think it's meant to have elders in it. <laughs> uh, retirement capital of the world. Is it almost? But- that or um, Boca, maybe oh, Boca, Boca Raton. Yeah, Boca Raton one. might be, but still Florida right. in general. Yeah. And 
He's like, no, no, they actually have a class for people our age. <laughs> I want to meet this cross. Smart. Yeah. It's actually a good business model too. Right. Like don't need to be pushing it forever, but here's, here's what. Yeah. I, I love it. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I want to close the conversation and land the plane with something that I don't want to do, but. <laughs> <laughs> I did challenge you to this when we were together last week. Yeah. We were in Orlando last week at uh, Keto Orlando Summit. We were both speaking and hanging out. And you talk a lot about the benefits of sardine. You call it sardine fasting. You've done some cool studies with mm-hmm. your patients. And let's talk about all the benefits first. Inspire me. Amen. And then what we're going to do here on the, on the <laughs> interview, if you're watching on YouTube, we're, I'm going to eat some sardines. I, I haven't had sardines in a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to like them. However, I know how beneficial they are. You're going to inspire me some more. And then I'm going to eat them with you because I made a promise. So why are sardines so healthy for us? And what are some of the cool data metrics you've seen with them? (laughs) Well, it's a great commercial for, uh, you know, if you needed a reason to figure out if you've got fasting uh, skills, (laughs) they become a lot better when you have it up against a can of sardines. So let's talk about that. Again, you've heard me talk about the strategy I use for especially folks that are metabolically very sick. And some of the things they don't appreciate is how much they are eating the other thing is satiety is a, a sensation that they have been, I mean, insulin suppresses that. They just don't get that feeling of fullness. So when you look across the metrics of what foods deliver satiety, your omega-3 fats are really powerful in satiety. I happen to run a, you know, peak brain performance is the subtext to my medical clinic. Like, how do you get peak brains? Nothing like little bitty fish in a menu to get them doing better. When you say, well, can't you just have cod liver oil or can't you just have omega-3 supplements? Those are fine. Those are great. But when you track human behavior for what is a behavior change that somebody does today that they're still doing in five years, satiating food is going to last way longer than a supplement. Uh, So let's have satiating food that's portion controlled, that's found in every grocery store, in every third world country I've ever been in. That's true. Uh, it is. Little canned fish, they last a long time. In in the Midwest, this is what fresh seafood looks like. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I grew up on sardines, but... So we have a civil war. We're just going to stock up on these before. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> we'll be ready. So the, the other part is when people say, oh, what about the mercury in fish? And you're like, yeah, the smaller the fish, the better the, better, the mercury. Yeah. And, you know, the smaller the fish, the more absorbable that omega-3 I really love it when the bones and the skin are there. A couple other little things people, you know, might not know is, yes, the fish are cooked in sardines, but the pressure cooking uh, in the way they do it uh, makes that, especially when the bones are still in there, is a super absorbable version of calcium. Mm. Like it's, I think it's off the chart for calcium absorption. I don't just mean, so you can see, oh yeah, it's got ingredients in it when you run it through like a metrics but the absorption rate is so powerful when you when you have it delivered right along with that omega-3 fats that I don't take calcium supplements. I tell patients, just eat sardines. So they're just, they're eating the bones. They're chewing on it, mm-hmm. yeah. swallowing it. You can't taste the bones though. So can't taste the bones. Yeah, it's just a little crunchy. Right, not that crunchy. And then I haven't even looked at it. We're going to open it now, <laughs> but is the head on there too? No, the head's usually not in there. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. I wasn't sure if I was going to open that up and it was going to be there. Okay. Okay. So let me give you a couple more things that you should think about before we open it. Because if you've got the mentality that this is going to be hard for you, 
No, so, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, but but here, go ahead. Give me some tips. Here's a good, one more tip. Okay. When judging food, your nose leads, right? The smell right, yeah. is really powerful. And when it comes to the judgment of uh, sardines, when you stack it up against the taste of other fish, the tanginess of a fish is a negative. Like tuna actually doesn't get a very good rating when it's in the, you know, I, I suppose fresh tuna that's made in sushi is not tangy, but the, the stuff you eat in South Dakota in the can is yeah. tangy. It's got this kind of bite to it. That's a negative point factor in the how palatable is a food. Sardines are a much more palatable fish than, than tuna. It's not as tangy as tuna, but they are the worst smelling. Mm. So they you lose people on smell. In fact, I've had people do sardines in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways is they, they air fry them. And say, oh, it's crispy, and of course, uh, the first thing I think of is, what the hell does that do to your? House? It's gonna the whole house. And they said, oh no no, smell. you got to air frame outside. Oh on the yeah, deck. my gosh, yeah, I would not do that. But the other part is, so my my son is a wrestler, but he also is a pole vaulter, and the pole vault coach uh, didn't know anything about me, but he his son uh, was there and three years old. And I had introduced, and he must have known I was a doctor because I I said, well, go ask your dad if you can have these. And he, it's like when the little boy went over to his dad, he said, oh, I'm sure she's a doctor. And so he didn't really know what I was feeding his kid. He just knew that whatever I was offering him had to be good. And I literally, when I eat these at the office, I, I would use a, a tongue blade just like, cause I don't really have, so I don't like eat, keeping food at the office. So I would have a tongue blade and take it over to the pole vault area. And this little boy, I would feed him sardines. And it was like, probably three months into the pole vault season, almost the end of the pole vault season. And the dad goes, oh my God, you're feeding him sardines. <laughs> and he's looking at his kid, you're eating sardines? <laughs> like, oh, they're really good for kids too. And the, the point of telling you that story is that when people say, I don't like that, it is most likely that your palate wasn't introduced to it at a young stage. It's true, same, that's my case. Yeah, yeah. I would have you say, you know what? That's a first world problem. Your first world problem that you didn't get it introduced to as a, as a child and that the only chance that you have of liking something is the repeated introduction to taste buds that if you got put on a desert island and all you had was sardines, you would learn to love them. Yeah. Learn to find that. That would be a pretty good food to have if you <laughs> were on a desert island. Yeah, you survive pretty good. If I look at the biggest prevention for that, um, those diseases of aging, it's all based mm -hmm. on how often were they swallowing omega-3s that were easy to absorb. Okay. So, here we go to prevent your Parkinson's. Here we go. Let's mm -hmm. let's do it. Okay. So let's move this out of the way. I, I know that. Um, so you've got them there in olive oil. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah. So we have it in olive oil, which is an important thing yeah. because we don't want to get it like in soybean oil or. Right, right, right. Uh, I have other people who say I buy them in water and then I put them in my own olive oil because they think the olive oil has oh, something, something. That's a good idea. I actually have some olive oil oh. here to take a shot of after this as a palate <laughs> cleanse. So. Let me actually pour that out first. Pour this out for both so of us. What kind of what's that olive oil? This is actually um, from the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. The oh, best olive oil. Have, have you tried them about, before? No, I've never tried it, but I've heard about it. T.J. Robinson. I've interviewed him before. This one is from Spanish Harvest, and the cool thing about this olive oil is that it's first harvest pressed, meaning they don't let it go to the second harvest because it's more oh, polyphenols nice. and oleocanthals. That mm -hmm. first harvest, you just get mm -hmm. less yield, but they don't care about that. Cold pressed and organic, and it's in a dark glass bottle. Mm, so and I'm it, totally curious. Yeah, we're gonna take a shot of it. Me and Brian did it last week. It burned our throat. Oh. 
let's pour that first as a, a palate cleanse afterwards, although, although you probably don't need it. That'll be our palate cleanse right there. Okay, so let's do sardines first. Mm, perfect. So to, to the smart, oopsie daisy, sorry about you. Cut, cut that part out. <laughs> no worries. Okay, so I'm going to open this thing up. Okay, so I would encourage you to lay it down and open it if, if you spill it. I don't want to spill it, it yeah. on me? Okay. Because so that smell part? Yeah, there you go. I almost you... don't want to even smell. <laughs> but Maybe I should just it up for you. So... Oh, they're pretty big. They're bigger than I thought. I thought they were like this, honestly. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. So let me help you. Okay, so help me how, out here, Dr. Boz. How I would help you is to cut them into, um, it might not look as appetizing, but to get that oil mixed in. Okay. My mouth's a little further away from it. So, and you're, you picked ones without skin and without any bones. So you are, you, these are baby sardines. Maybe. Yeah. My next level up is with the skin and bones. I'll, yeah. I'll do that next time. And, and the reason you care about that is I think you burp less when, because everybody's going to burp. When you me. have skin yeah. and bones. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to have. Less sardine burps. <laughs> some that's sardine a good burps. idea. Uh, so there's my version. It kind of does look like tuna. So putting that the the oil in there to to just moisten it up, it just makes it a little easier. Thank you. you wouldn't want That's it a good. Have, I was gonna just scoop the whole thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> honestly, I I eat it right out of the can, but I'm gonna help you eat here. Okay, so there you go. Wait, am I eating that whole thing right there? Yeah, you should. Oh it's my really gosh, good. it's really good. All right, so here we go, Doctor Boss. So I I did this on stage to somebody last week. That's right, to Judith. <laughs> to Judith and she. Cheers. It is kind of like tuna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's actually not that bad. The health benefits are outweighing the thought of eating sardines. So here's how I prefer it. I always like a little salt on everything, but these actually ha- seem to f- taste a little salty. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. got nice salt. And pepper, uh, pepper increases. Salt and pepper? Mm-hmm, the absorption of the those omega-3s a little bit better with does some it? pepper. Does mm-hmm. it? Huh. Just like it does with turmeric, huh? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... When I do the sardine challenge, if I'm especially if I'm working with somebody that's very insulin resistant, I tell them you cannot have any carbs and all that, the extras they try to put on it to cover up the taste. Yeah, right. You can't put any of that. Yeah. And you have your 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 patients do seventy two hours of a mm-hmm. sardine, just sardines for three days. Right. So unlike the seventy two hour fast, which right. starts at the end of the last meal, like okay, I just finished my ice cream, I'm starting my fast. I'm like. It's very manipulative. Uh, <laughs> sardines start at the first bite. Got it. And you're doing that for 72 hours. And then you end the 72-hour fast. At the last hour, you have your final can. So the, the fast starts at the last bite of the sardines is what you're saying? Oh, yeah, the first bite of the sardines. The first bite, excuse me. And then for 72 hours, are you just eating sardines or are you only, fasting only and then breaking it with the sardines? Only thing they can eat is sardines. Okay. Only thing you're eating throughout is sardines. Got it. On the menu. What are what are some of the things you've seen? Because you've did some cool studies. It's what are the, some of the benefits you've seen by doing that? So the best part is like that gal that came in, ah, doc, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, and I do everything right. Like to get her system to make ketones again, well, first of all, it needs to be a metabolic stress without insulin. The particle size of sardines well, it's not measured in particle size. There's strips of fiber in the area of the muscle muscle cells in there. So it's a very low insulin response, even in an insulin-resistant patient. And what you'll see is by the third day, it's actually the day after they break their fast. Uh, so they've done the 72 hours. They've kept track of their glucose and their ketones, and glucose goes down, and ketones go up. And 
Which you know, is a good gauge that you're getting this autophagy. Yeah, and it's a stress. It's, you know, you're asking for a workout of those mitochondria, right? And as you flip it, as you as they really get to a point where they've not seen ketones like that in ages, and their glucose finally, in many cases, finally gets below 90. They mm -hmm. finally get into what I think of as much healthier. And then the next day, it's even better. Like, mm. doc, I'm back to eating normal. I'm like, what you're really reaping the benefits of is when ketones are in circulation, they stimulate the liver to make more ketones. I mean, ketones beget ketones. So the wave lasts after the 72 hours. Like the best numbers usually come the day after the 72 hours because the body is truly flexing. And they may not feel satiety after one can, but when you say, I don't care if you get up at two o'clock in the morning, anytime you want to eat, sardines is the menu. So add libidum, as, many, as, as many much as, as you want, want, as long as it's sardines. And then watch what happens. Their, the volume of their food is strikingly low by the third day. Like mm. you'll hear people in the first 24 hours, they'll have three to four cans. Then even another three, three to four cans on the second day. By the third day, it's maybe two cans and many times just that one can at the end of the hour. And again, you want that high fat, high protein and in a place where, yes, you're masticating. Yes, you're going to get an insulin response. Everybody does but it is so tiny, even in the insulin injured, they've got abundance, so. For those watching or listening, but watching primarily on YouTube, if you're gonna do a sardine fast, let us know in the comment section. Look, I did that because I, uh, you challenged me to it. <laughs> I know all the benefits, but I also did it because I want you guys to know that it is so beneficial to consume sardines. I'm actually inspired to do more of it. Mm. it wasn't that bad actually. But I want you to do it too. Like take the challenge. Dr. Boz's YouTube channel has some great videos on sardine fasting. So follow her on her YouTube channel. But let's uh, cheers to some sardines. Mm. And an amazing conversation. Mm. It's going to burn your throat a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's so nice though. Last question as we wrap up this amazing conversation. And I feel the burn. Oh, come. yeah. <clears throat> so what's that from? That's from the... Um, the polyphenols and the oleocanthals, the oh, antioxidants. So, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had that happen with olive oil. Yeah, that's what you want. That's how you know it's a real like high quality olive oil. Oh, a lot um, of the stuff in the supermarket goes down smooth, and it's a it's a red flag. Oh, I'm about to end it into a rabbit hole here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll connect you with TJ. Okay. Yeah. Last question is about vitamin G. Ah. We both are big fans of this supplement. Mm -hmm. uh, Anti-inflammatory. Probably is going to help with insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, it will. A1C, brain function, GABA, oxytocin, all, everything, right? Pretty much touch, touches upon every health benefit we seek, which is gratitude, being in a grateful mm -hmm. state. So I want to ask you, Dr. Boz, what do you have vitamin G for today? Mm. So this is a season for me where I'm starting the last chapter where my kids are at home. And my son went on a date last night mm. where he... Yeah, he's dating the co uh, a police officer's daughter. And he went out with a family that had grandparents still alive. All four of his grandparents are dead. And it has been a season where I know they would have loved to have watched what the, what the lives of my kids and have turned into. So the gratefulness I've really been, I, I have a, a gratitude list. I, I have a prayer list that I keep track of. Uh, and I've had just an abundance of how family isn't genetic. The family I've got is past. Um, and the family that I'm finding in Florida is, has just been, I'm so grateful for 
what I worried I would never find a good community. Like how can I, how can I replace 50 years in a state where, I mean, there's only 800,000 people in South Dakota. And wow. I think I knew one in every city. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. But as I looked at two years ago, what was on my prayer list, it was to find a community that I feel connected to. And when my son went on this date, he found grandparents that are her grandparents, but he came home and t- told more stories about the grandparents than mm-hmm. the parents or the girlfriend. And I was just very grateful on how many people in my new community have just enriched my life. Uh, and it's been a focus that I knew was going to be a challenge to replace, but really been my, where my heart's been. Your prayers last. were answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I'm, ha- mm-hmm. I'm so happy for you. I'm grateful for you, Dr. Boz, and your amazing work and your kind heart, uh, your big heart. You want to serve and you are serving a lot of people. I love how you educate people. You're fun and intelligent and you really enjoy teaching like you're a true teacher. And I really respect that about you. And uh, I'm glad that we crossed paths a year ago in Orlando. And now we're in person recording a podcast for the fourth time in 12 months. And we're neighbors. And we're neighbors, pretty much. Kind of. Although Brian would argue. Where... (laughs) Your YouTube channel is amazing. We're going to link that down below. Where else do you want the keto campers to check you out? Yeah, I think that's the step one. You'll find the other places once you get there. And uh, it's free education. I think of what I used to do behind the exam room door only. I've tried to say this is the place where I can do it to more people at the right price and hopefully helping the next generation not be coincidental. Yeah, you are. So it's Dr. Boz on YouTube. Go check her out. Dr. Boz, cheers until the next one, round five. I look forward to that already. Thank (laughs) you. Absolutely. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed that fun conversation with Dr. Boz. Hey, if you want to watch us eating the sardines and want to watch the entire video format of today's interview, that was taking place at our Keto Camp podcast studio. We had amazing cameras set up, amazing vibe. Go to youtube.com slash ketocamp to watch that. Go check her out on her website, which is bozmd.com. Go share this with somebody you know. Get her books. We'll reference all that down below. She's got two books, Any Way You Can and Keto Continuum. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already. And hopefully you're inspired to go get your sardine on. Just make sure the sardines are not in vegetable oils, but with olive oil. And she recommends having them with the bones and the skin something that I'm going to do more frequently as well. You will notice a difference. You might want to do that 72-hour sardine challenge as well. And if you do, I want to know the results. Leave it as a rating and review. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with Dr. Boz and myself. I love and I appreciate you. I'll see you in the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.